So um, for those of us, for those of you who are joining us online, um, I think you, you would have noticed that we had te technical difficulties this morning. Um, we didn't have much technical difficulties um, in the past couple of weeks, but there were, you know, you were, we had, you know, problem with the internet speed and whatnot. And I think um, what we were talking about here before the service, the reason why we had, a hard we had technical difficulties this morning and the reason why we have internet problems this morning is because we think maybe Facebook Live is overwhelmed by all the Sunday morning services that is happening right now. Um, and I think there are a lot of Sunday morning services this morning compared to other mornings because it is Easter. Right? And Easter is one season, along with Christmas, where even people who have not attend church regularly feel compelled to come to church. So they come to church in Easter and Christmas. And if you're one of such people that's listening to this, I'm not judging. I'm trying to be the nice Pastor Jay from now on. I, I am really glad that you're here. But I use this example, right? As, as, as I use this example to, to unfortunately illustrate um, the practice that not only people do come to Easter, to church Easter once a year, but unfortunately, many churches preach about the resurrection only one time a year. Just as people come to church once a year, unfortunately, many churches mention the resurrection of Jesus Christ only one time a year. And, and I remember last year when I was, I remember last Easter, I was driving, after the service, I was driving to my daughter's concert in Alexandria somewhere, and I got to listen to Joe Austin's sermon. And, in jo and I have the Joe Austin channel in my car. I listen to it frequently, not frequently, occasionally, just to, just to learn how not to preach, right? But last Easter, I was pleasantly surprised. The guy preached the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he did a really good job. I was in tears. And I go, good job, Joe Austin. That's only the first time I said good job, Joe Austin. I go, man, he made the gospel real and relevant and powerful, and I teared up. But the problem with Joe Austin, like so many other preachers, is that they only mention the resurrection on Easter. Other times of the year, all the times of the week of the year, they don't mention the resurrection. How do I know? Um, last week I read an article by, posted on uh, Nine Marks website. Nine Marks is one of the church leaders' website that I visit every day. And in the, nine, in, in the Nine Marks website, one of the staff members of Nine Marks listened to 18 hours of sermons from the nine biggest churches in America. So he listened to 18 hours worth of sermons from the nine biggest churches in America. So all in all, he listened to 36 sermons. And he took, notes, he took notes on every sermon that he listened to. And the number one conclusion that he came, that he came to after listening to 36, hours of, 36 sermons is this. Of the 36 sermons, the gospel was never, never clearly mentioned. The largest churches in America big influential churches, of the 36 sermons, all 36 barely mentioned the gospel. They preached on topics such as, you know, winning, how to live a winning life, 
how to, you know, how to raise, you know, godly families, right? They talk about, I don't know, how to increase your kingdom clout. I don't know what that means. means. But they preached about all these different topics. But the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has not been mentioned. I think all of them will preach it this morning. But after this morning, they won't preach it. Why? I guess there are many reasons. I can't read their minds. But I think the resurrect, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they believe, maybe they think, it's not relevant to people's lives. They think the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is a nice idea to, to cart out once a year. But it is not the defining truth that makes a difference in people's lives. I remember, like, you know, there was someone, you know, who was sharing their testimony. And she said, you know, her family had financial difficulties, right? And she was a Christian. She had financial difficulties. And, you know, um, one of her pastors, I think, reminded her that Jesus died for her during this financial crisis. And she honestly shared at that moment, she says, I don't know how the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ, is related to my financial situation. What does Jesus dying on the cross have to do with the difficulties that I'm living right now? You see, in our minds, church leaders or regular congregation members, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not that important, not that relevant in how we live our daily lives. But Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 15 is death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the truth that changes everything. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is a centrality event in the history of the universe that changes all things. Paul is saying, without the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our faith is useless. What we do here is useless if Christ has not been raised. I know we think other truths matter more in in, in our everyday lives. But Paul is saying, no, there is no other truth that is more relevant than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And hopefully during today's sermon, we will see why. Right? So let's dive in. So Paul addresses verse 12, right? That they are members in the Corinthians church, right? That says that there is no resurrection of the dead. We're back to 1 Corinthians, right? And in 1 Corinthians, we, as a review, we talked about the fact that there were many problems in the, first Corinthians, in, 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 in the church in Corinth. And one of the problems that Paul is addressing in verse, chapter 15 is they're saying there's some members in the church of Corinth, some members of the, of the Corinthian church, that believe that there is no resurrection of the dead. Clearly, they are members of the church. Clearly, they're there, right? They could be, they could be anywhere else, but they choose to be members of the church, these people who deny the resurrection. So what does it mean? It means that these people, when they first listened to Paul, 
they liked many of the things that Paul was saying. Maybe they liked the idea about the living God. And maybe they liked about the ethics, morality that Paul advocates. And maybe they even liked the idea that God loves them. Right? But when when it comes down to it, they don't think God is able to raise the dead. They're reasonable, wise, well-learned Greeks. Greeks read books. Greeks, Greeks grew up in philosophy. And according to the realistic view of life, even though many of the things that Paul says about God is good and they want to believe it, at their heart of hearts, they don't think God raises the dead. It is impossible, they think, for the dead to come alive. So there are members of the Corinthian church who likes a lot of things that Paul is saying, but who thinks there can be no, there's no way that the dead will rise. And one of the reasons why they believe the dead cannot rise is their philosophy. According to their philosophy, they think a human being is divided into two parts, the soul and the body. And they think, you know, soul is good and the body is, body is bad. And they think after they die, their souls go to heaven to be with God or with other celestial like, entities, and their body will just decay and be destroyed. Their view of the body is it's just a brief form of, of, of a shell that they have for a little bit, little bit of time in this world. And after they die, their souls will be set free to be with God. They have a low view of the human body. The reason why they can be so sexually immoral and have no trouble, problem with sleeping with whoever they want to sleep with is because they thought what they did in their bodies didn't matter because their bodies would be discarded anyway. Because of their low view of the body and the temporary nature of the body, they could not understand why God would raise the dead because the body is not relevant. Only the soul is. And I think that's what a lot of Christians think too, right? We think that when we die, then our souls will be with God and our bodies will just you know, rot in a grave somewhere, right? And then we'll, our soul will live eternity with God. It is only our soul that will live eternity with God. That's what we believe. And that's exactly what the Corinthians believe. Some of the Corinthians believed. God cannot possibly raise the dead. But Paul argued, Paul's argument in, chapter, in 1 Corinthians 15, especially verses 1 through 11, he's saying, no, 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 God raises the dead. In fact, God raising the dead Jesus from the grave is a historic fact. Paul is saying in, chapter, in verses 1 through 11, not only God raises the dead, but there are witnesses who confirm that Jesus Christ has indeed raised from the dead. The, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just a lofty philosophical idea, but it was an historic event. God raises people from the dead. And Paul is saying that's the centrality of our faith. Jesus being raised from the dead and Jesus raising all of us from the dead, that's the centrality of the Christian faith. The centrality of the Christian faith is not just some lofty idea about God. 
It's not some lofty idea that God only exists. It's not some lofty, vague idea of God loves you. No, no, no. That's not what the Christian Christian faith is found on. The Christian faith is found on, on the historic death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If this falls, Paul says, everything else in the faith falls with it. Historic death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, the man Jesus died on the cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead. That is what that is the heart of the Christian of Christianity. That is the heart of our faith. Without it, everything will fall apart. And that's what his main argument is in verses, I don't know, 13 to the end of verse, verse 34 today. Paul is saying, for example, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, right? You see, Paul is saying in verse 13, if if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus Christ did not rise from the, from the dead. And if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then Paul's preaching is foolish, and our faith is foolish. Paul is saying if Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, then all the ideas that you like about his preaching, I don't know, truth about God, about the love of God, or whatever, all these things that you like is foolishness. If Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, all his ideas about God is foolishness. Not only is his idea about God foolishness, right? If Jesus did not raise from the dead, not only is preaching is foolishness, then our faith is foolishness. If Jesus did not historically raise from the dead, then Paul wasted his life. He gave up everything to preach the fact that Jesus raised from the dead. He was imprisoned, he was beaten, he was, he was, he was. He was maligned. He, was, he, he even died for this truth. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, then he's saying, all that I did is foolishness, it's useless. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, then our faith is foolishness. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then what we're doing here right now is useless. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then all your service, all the sacrifices that you made, is worthless. It's foolishness. It's, it's vain, Paul says. Have you thought about that? A lot of us make Christianity about many different things. Some make Christianity about, you know, nice deep theological argument about God. Um, this past week, I was you know, enamored with this. Um, I was just li- reading and listening about this theological concept called federal vision. It is complex. It is interesting. And people are just arguing over the, what, this, what, what this federal vision means. I'll tell you after the service for those who are interested. But a lot of those guys who make these arguments, their thing is, God is, Christianity is really about laying out nice Arguments for God. For some, right, Christianity is about love of mankind, right, social justice, and, and doing the right thing, and taking care of the poor, which is all important. To others, Christianity is about, you know, you know like your ecstatic religious experiences. 
And as important as serving people, human, mankind is, and as important as having a nice theological understanding of what argument for God is, and as nice of, a, of having religious experiences is, Paul is saying, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then all the things that you do in his name is useless. You're wasting your time. Paul is saying, if Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, did not rise from the dead, then not only is his preaching foolishness and our faith foolishness, Paul is saying he is misrepresenting God. Paul is saying if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then everything that he's teaching other people about God is a misrepresentation. The word misrepresentation means Paul is saying he is a false prophet. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, Paul says, what I'm teaching you is, 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 is falsehood. It's a lie. And in, and in the Old Testament sense, being a false prophet is condemn, condemnable. For, like, you deserve death for being a false prophet. I was listening to an interview this week by Mike Bickle. Uh, Mike Bickle is a founder of the International House of Prayer, IHOP, right? And IHOP is this organization in Kansas City and, you know, there are a lot of young people there. They pray 24 hours. They have, like, like you know, Holy Spirit-filled worship services and stuff. And Mike Bickle you know, prophesies. He, God gives him a word, and he tells people what God says. Right? It's a charismatic, very bizarre type of organization. And Mike Bickle, even Mike Bickle, like, you know, this week said, you know, even though I prophesy, I think I, can pro I have a gift of prophecy and I can you know, tell people what the will of God is. He recognizes 80% of the prophecies out there are false. So this guy, who's one of like, the chief prophets of America, says 80% of those people out there who claim to have a prophetic word of God, Paul, he says, they're false. And what got me about in an interview, he says, yeah, so... If you're a prophet who says false things about God, then all you really need to do, Mike Bickle says, is just to apologize. Oops, I got it wrong. I thought this was from the Lord, but it's not. Oops, I'm sorry. Right? Paul says, and Mike Bickle says, if you just apologize, it'll be okay. That's not the Bible. If you misrepresent God, you are the devil. Right? That's what the devil does. The devil misrepresents God. You are the child of the devil. And as the false prophet, you deserve death. Side note, that's why I'm just, I want to contain my preaching to the word of God because I don't want to misrepresent God at all. For your Bible study teaching the small group leaders, that's, you've got to be very careful in what you teach. You don't teach your experiences, right? You teach you don't teach your experiences. You don't teach your perceptions. You teach what is in the Word of God because the Word of God is the revealed truth of God and not what we think what God is. Paul is saying, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, I'm a false prophet and I should be condemned. Paul's preaching centered on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our faith is centered on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything is centered on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? 
Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, teaches us that life is really about death and life. The, cent- the most important, the central important narrative theme of existence is death and life. Paul is saying, death entered this world through one man. And, and sin and death entered this world through one man, Adam. And everyone was destined to die because of our union with Adam. But Jesus Christ is the man who saves his people who are destined to death. The centrality of existence is a matter of death and life. And Jesus Christ came to save those who are are destined for death. Jesus Christ did not come to make our lives better in this world. You know that's true. Jesus Christ did not come into this world to make our lives here bearable so that we won't suffer. That's not what he came here for. He came here to rescue those who are destined for death. Let's talk about death. Verse 21, verse 21 and 22, it says, Paul says, Death came to this earth through one man. Adam's rebellion against God brought sin in the world. And the, and the result of sin is death. Sin and death, that's the narrative of the world. Through one man, death entered. And this is very relevant, I think, in, in today's environment, right? Today's environment, you know, everyone's working from home. The global economy is in, is, is in, is in a downfall, right? Everyone, a lot of people are losing their jobs. It's, it's, it's chaos, I can't find toilet paper anywhere. It's chaos. What caused this chaotic environment? What, what, is, what is the source that changed everything of, of, of how we live our lives? Isn't it through one man in China or one woman in China? I don't know. Allegedly. This one person in China ate a bat in one of those marketplaces. And through that one person, the coronavirus spread throughout the world. It is through one man that we are suffering death in this world right now. Paul is saying, one man, Adam, brought death into this world, brought sin and death into this world. Because we're united with Adam, all of us are sinful, and therefore all of us deserve death. I was reading, for my quiet time this week, I was reading Leviticus. And I'm so blessed by Leviticus. Especially I was reading about reading Leviticus 12, 13, 14, and 15. And Leviticus 12 through 15 is about um, you know, how to recognize a leper and what to do with a leper if you found a leper within the Israel community. And it's also about, you know, what do you do with bodily discharges, right? What, if, what do you do with, with like, regulations about women who have their periods and all that stuff? So basically, in, in these chapters, God is teaching, telling the Israelites, if there is anyone with uncleanness, whether it is leprosy, whether it's bodily discharge, or whether it's blood, 
God is telling these people are unclean. So they have to be segregated, separated from, from the rest of the Israelite community for a certain amount of days. And before, when I was reading this, when I was younger, I thought that was kind of harsh, right? Because lepers and bleeding people need care. Shouldn't the community take care of them? That's what, you know, the idealistic 20-year-old PJ thought. But now reading, this chap- reading, reading these chapters in the light of the coronavirus, I understood the wisdom of it all. He's saying these unclean people are not holy, and these unholy, unclean people, if, if they are not separated from the community, will, will start to you know, spread their uncleanness within their community. One, one person's uncleanness, if their clothes are unclean, if their betches are unclean, that uncleanness will spread diseases among the community. Therefore, God is saying, quarantine them for a certain amount of time so that the other people will not be contaminated. And I was reading these verses. I remember Jesus' teaching. Jesus is saying, remember, I don't know where it is, in Matthew, I think. Jesus is saying, you think, Pharisees, that you know, certain things will make you unclean. Certain things like unclean cups, right? Or ceremoniously unclean clothing makes you unclean. But Jesus says, no, 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 these things do not make you unclean. What makes you unclean comes from within you. What makes you unclean is your heart, and it is from your heart, evil thoughts, greed, adultery, sexual morality, lies come out. Jesus' point was, like the Pharisees thought, outer things make you unclean. Jesus says, no, your heart is what makes you unclean. And just as, you know, the, the defiling stuff in Leviticus like spreads throughout community, your unclean heart spreads diseases and death through the people around you. We are so worried about the coronavirus, right, affecting us. That is why, because I don't have gloves, because, you know, I'm kind of lazy. Every door that I open, I open with a napkin. Because I'm, I'm afraid that other people's uncleanness will contaminate me. But what we need to understand, it is not just the coronavirus that is contagious. The uncleanness of our hearts, it infects the people around us. Our lusts, our evil thoughts, our lies, sexual morality, everything spreads around the world. Did you know that? Our unclean, the uncleanliness of the human heart spreads spiritual death, mental death, and even physical death to the world. Let's summarize. Aren't all world wars and all, all the world wars that killed people, millions and millions of people, isn't it because of greed, of evil thoughts, about the power hungering of a handful of people? Maybe in this light of coronavirus, God is preaching to us. As this virus is spreads like wildfire, the sin in, our, sin in our hearts, which makes us unclean, spreads like wildfire. The entire world is unclean. The entire world is suffering 
the entire world is dying because of sin. This sin entered through one man. And this sin and death is the destiny of us all. And I think that's true. The underlying reality of our lives is a matter of sin and death. The underlying question of our lives is not happiness or sadness. It's not success or failure. These are not the categories that govern the world. The categories that govern the world is sin and death. What you going to do about sin and what you going to do about death? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death and resurrection of Jesus Christ brings life to those who are dying. It offers freedom to those of of us who are in sin. It offers life to those of us who are dying. I heard a sermon a couple of months ago on my way to church. And this Lutheran pastor said this. 2,000 years ago, from the moment that Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected from the grave, the moment that he raised from the dead, the cycle of death and resurrection started to ripple throughout history. From the moment that Christ was raised from the dead, countless people who, have, who, are, who are destined to die have been reborn after Christ. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the moment he raised from the dead, that power ripples throughout eternity. And from that moment on, many people who belong to God, who have been, have been crucified with him and have been raised with him. The, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the, is the event that causes the resurrection of so many people who are destined for death. Paul, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 to 13, says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in this powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who are dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your hearts, God made alive together with him. Paul's argument in Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13 is this. To be a Christian, it means that we have been, that our sinful selves have been united with Christ on his death on the cross. So our old selves died with him on the cross. But just as he was raised from the dead, when you are united with him, we are also raised. That's what Christianity is. We die with Christ and we raise with him through our union with him. That's what Christianity is all about. Right? Um, Christianity is really about God making dead people alive again. That's the central mission of Christianity. Making the dead come alive. Making those who are once in sin and darkness be resurrected to become children of God. That's what, the, that, what, that's what Christianity is all about. There are two aspects to the resurrection. There is a resurrection that we experience in this world, in this time. And there's a future resurrection, the resurrection of the body. 
when we are united with Christ, we experience resurrection in two distinct ways. The first one, we experience resurrection in this world. While we're living in this world, while we're living in this fallen body, when we are united with Christ, we experience resurrection by Him changing our nature. We know we arise with Christ if God changes our nature. He changes our orientation. Before having faith in Christ, our thought processes, what we value, what we live for, our orientation, we're headed in a certain direction. But when we are raised with Christ in faith, God changes that orientation, that nature, and he makes us into people who are oriented towards him. When we are, the way we know that we have been resurrected with Christ is if we are not the same people that we were that we can observe the fundamental changes to our nature. We, we, there is a before and after story in our existence. That's how you know that you're raised with Christ. Being raised with Christ is that in this world, in this time, in this moment, you know that you have been changed, that you are a different person than you were before. And the example that I can give you is the celebrity that I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Once again, I mentioned her. Remember? She says she cries every day. She cries for two reasons. Number one, she cries when she looks back at the person that she was. She was so sorrowful of the fact of, of the fact that she of the way she used to think. But now she cries, not only because she's sorrowful of the way she used to think, she cries now because she knows that she doesn't have to, she doesn't have to live like anymore, live like that anymore. She cries of repentance of who she was, and she cries in gratitude because of who she is now. There is a before and after. There was a dead part of her. There's now a live part of her. That's how you know that you have been resurrected with Christ. Change of your nature. Being a pastor, I find encouragement in the small conversations that I have. One of the best parts of Sundays, and the the thing that I miss most about meeting together on Sunday is having the side conversations. And I get so much encouragement in those conversations. And I remember one conversation. I forgot who. Like, I, I talked to so many people. I, I forgot who. And this person, this, this female, she, she told me, you know, before she was a Christian, she wasn't very discerning about who she dated. Right? She didn't care whether the guy was Christian. She didn't care whether the guy was Buddhist. She didn't care whether the guy had any religion or not. But after, dating, after becoming a Christian, she says, I can't imagine dating someone who's not a Christian. She said, I would rather stay single for the rest of my life than date an unbeliever. I was so touched. Before salvation, it didn't matter who she dated, what religion that guy had. But now she knows she can only date someone who has also been resurrected with Christ because she is no longer the same person as the unbelievers. That is a small example of changes of nature. We used to be a certain way, now we're not. Yes, we struggle with sin. Yes, you know, you know like, we have much to grow. 
But if we are resurrected with Christ, something observable has to change about us. Another encouragement, encouraging thing that makes touch my heart is people, you know, a lot of people embrace, not a lot of people, there aren't a lot of us, many people embrace, like people who are dating, they don't have sex with each other. They're sexually pure. And that's a shock to their friends and to their parents too. Right? Some of their church-going parents are shocked that their, their, their children are sleeping together. And I know they're, not, they're sexually respectful of one another, not because of some purity sermon that I preached a couple of months ago, but God has changed their nature. The way they view sex in each other has changed. These are just small instances of fundamental changes in nature. That's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ does. When we're raised with him in resurrection, our, nature, our new natures have been raised with him. In this Resurrection Sunday, have you been resurrected? Once again, Christianity, we can make it into so many things, right? We can make it about our friends here. We can make it about whatever service that we do here. We can make Christianity about so many different things. But fundamentally, is your Christianity, is your faith about resurrection? Have you experienced the power of the resurrection in your life? Paul says, if you have not experienced the power of the resurrection, then your faith is in vain. Your faith is useless. If there, has no, if there is no fundamental change about you, then whatever you do in his name is vain. Have you changed? Have you been resurrected? We experience the power of resurrection through, through changes of nature in this world. And Paul says, the second, and another part, and, and we also experience the power of the resurrection when Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back, right? Those who have been fallen asleep, those of us who, whose bodies have died and our souls are with God, when Jesus Christ comes back, our bodies will be raised, raised just like his resurrected body. The destiny of the Christian is this. Let's, be, let's make it clear. When we die before Christ comes back, our souls will be with God in heaven. And that's true. But, and so after we die, our souls will be with God in heaven. But when Christ returns, our bodies will be raised up and our souls will be united with our bodies in our resurrected bodies. And our bodies will be like similar to Christ's resurrected body, Christ's resurrected glorious body. Our eternal destiny is not just our souls being with God. Our, 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 our eternal destiny is our, is our bodies being raised 
and we physically reign with God in eternity. Just as Jesus' physical resurrection was a historic fact, our physical resurrection in the future is a fact. That's what Paul is saying. We will fall asleep for a while, which means our bodies will be in the grave for a little while. But when he comes back, we will be raised with him. That's the eternal destiny. That's what, what, what Paul means when he says Jesus is the first fruit. First fruit is a farming term. First fruit is like during the harvest time, the first fruit of the ground indicates the type of harvest you're going to have. The first fruit is the indication of the many different fruits to come. When Paul says Jesus Christ is a first fruit, he is saying, as Christ was raised from the dead, we too will rise from the dead. That's what Paul means when he says Jesus conquers death. He means in, even, in, even after death, it is not the end of our bodies. It is not the end of our lives. Death cannot hold back our, resurrect, our, our, our future resurrection. If you are in Christ, you not only experience the changes of nature here, but your eternal destiny will is set. It will be raised with him when he returns. Like I said before, just as the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fact, your resurrection will be a fact. Yes, in this world we have turmoil. Yes, in this world we have coronaviruses. Yes, in this world we have conflict and things that make us worry. But those are only passing seasons. Our eternal destiny, our eternal home, where we will end up, is with the resurrected body with the Lord. Do you know that? It's at what you hope for. People of my age start to think about retirement. Right? I should max out my 401k contributions, they say. Because I'm going to retire. And, and I'm, I'm, in, I'm of, of the age where I've got to start thinking about retirement. But my retirement, it's not God's waiting room in Florida. My retirement and the place where I will go is in my resurrected body with the Lord when he comes back. Do you know that's your destiny? For those who have not been raised with Christ, Paul says, there are signs that you know if you have not been raised with Christ. Paul is saying, if, if, if there is no resurrection, to, re resurrection of the dead, Paul says, we are still in our sins, which means there are no natural, we don't experience you know, changes to our nature. If Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, we are still in our sins. We are still dominated by, by the power of sin. If Jesus Christ is not resurrected from the dead, then this world is all we have. And after this world, we will perish with the world. If Jesus, if Jesus has not resurrected from the dead, our only hope is, is in this world. And for, the, for those of us who live for the kingdom of God and not of the kingdom of the world, we should be pitied because we wasted our time. If Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, Paul says, our baptism is pointless. 
If Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, Paul says in verse 32, YOLO, right? YOLO, the original YOLO is eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Paul says, if Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, then you're still in your sins, all you really, all you really have in this world, and after you die, that's it. And therefore, YOLO, do what you like. But if you think about it, the, this is the mentality of the person who has not been raised with Christ. There are those who are raised with Christ and there are those who are not been raised with Christ. And how do those people who have not been raised with Christ live? They live with their old natures. They think there is nothing wrong with them. Their values their sense of what right and wrong, their thinking of what they want to do, these things dictate their lives. The things of God is invisible. It doesn't, is irrelevant. They still live with the same nature that thinks they are the center of the universe, that their priority is, is, is the most important priority. Such is a person who have not been raised with Christ. Another person who has raised, who have not been raised with Christ, live as if this world is all they have. They are overwhelmed with achieving things in this world, being happy in this world, buying nice things in this world, retiring in this world, right? Making a name for themselves in this world, being popular in this world. They are obsessed with the things of this world and what they can do in this world. Because people who have not resurrected with Christ, this world is all they have. One of the clear ways that you know that you have not been raised with Christ is if all you are obsessed about is this, your status in this world. If that's what governs you and dictates you, and if that's what you make you lose sleep overnight. Over, over then maybe you have not been raised with Christ. How does people who have not been raised with Christ live? They live YOLO. They are not discerning of what they eat. They are not discerning of what they do. They are not discerning with what they do with their bodies. They want to enjoy themselves here. There's no godly discernment. There's no godly discipline. There is no self-control. They do as we please. We do as we please. These are the people who have not been raised with Christ. It is perfectly possible to be in the church and not be resurrected. Paul says in verse, what verse is it? Verse 32, I said. Paul says, is it verse 32? No, that's, that's YOLO, right? Where is the bad company? Eh, I lost myself. All right. Paul says in verse 33, the bad company corrupts more good character. When I read this verse when I was a kid, my mom used this verse to, verse to teach me, don't hang out with bad people. Paul says, bad company corrupts good moral character. I thought this verse meant, don't hang out with guys who smoke. My mom says, if you hang out with guys who smoke, they're going to influence you to do bad, Right? The mom, my mom uses this verse to say, be careful, be very discerning who your friends are. And that's true. 
Bad people will influence you to do bad things. But what is the bad people that Paul is talking about in verse 33? The bad people that Paul is talking about in verse 33 are those, are those people in the church who don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These are the bad characters. You can be a bad character if you belong to the church and agree with some of the things that I say, but if the resurrection is, it doesn't define you, if the resurrection isn't important to you, if you make Christianity to anything else but the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then Paul is saying, you're a bad company. It's perfectly possible to be a member of Embrace and don't think much about the resurrection. Question is this morning, is the resurrection the reality of your life? Has your nature changed? Is what you really hope for more and more towards the eternal destiny of your resurrected body with Christ? Is that the more of a hope that you have in, like, as you live? Or is your hope still tied to the things of this world? As I was praying yesterday, I realize how easily everything is crumbling, right? Companies, law firms with like hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue last year, right? Many law firms, top law firms in, in, in the country are now in the state of emergency because of the coronavirus. These law firms that were so powerful and mighty in a matter of weeks, they're starting, they're start cutting wages. In a matter of a few more weeks, they might start laying people off. What I realized as I was thinking about this is this. This whole world is built on sand. Remember Jesus says, do not build your kingdom in the house, house in the sand where it will crumble when the storms of life comes. What I realized Everything is built on sand in this world. What we man-made in this world, everything is built on sand. It, it appears strong and eternal and wealthy, but it doesn't take much to crumble it. It took one dude in China eating a bat to crumble million, hundred million dollar law firm. I appreciate my job. I love being a lawyer. I really, I really love being a lawyer. I love my firm, right? But there's no illusion that that's still sand. People who are not raised with Christ, they build their lives on sand. What you hope for is the kingdom of sand. When you are raised with Christ, you know from the core of your being that your eternal destiny waits. It is when He returns and you are resurrected with Him. If we have that perspective, what is there really to worry about in this world? You know? We may be uncomfortable, inconvenient, and we may even suffer. But if we have an eternal perspective in mind, 
if we know that we will be raised with Christ? Won't that bring perspective to your suffering? Last story. Oprah, a couple of years ago, I think like 10, 15 years ago, did a when Oprah used to have a talk show, I don't know, like 20 years ago or something, she filmed, you know, she took a camera crew and she lived in the slums of Chicago for a week, right? Like, like no makeup Oprah, right? You know, just jeans Oprah, you know what I mean? And she was living in the, in the, in the homeless, like, you know, the condemned, like, public housing in Chicago. And she's saying, oh, how horrible it was for a week. She suffered. Oh, government cheese, she says. Oh, the rats of these homes, she says. It is inhumane of how these people live, she says. But the suffering really didn't affect Oprah, right? The government cheeses and the rats infested apartments didn't, reflect, didn't really affect Oprah to the core. Why? Because Oprah had a $30 million home to go to after a week. For the week, it was hard. But she knew where she was going after the week. Our limited time in this world is like Oprah's brief stint in the public housing of Chicago. It's uncomfortable, it is, it is hard, it is difficult, it is sad. But it shouldn't destroy us. Because we know we will be raised with him. My dear brothers and sisters, have the resurrection in mind every day. Have the resurrection in mind every day. Know that it is only Christ, because he has been raised from the dead, it is only him who can change your nature. And it is him who has secured an eternal place for you. As he was raised from the dead 2,000 years ago, you will be raised from the dead when he returns. It's a historic fact. Hope in that historical fact that these things dictate and govern your life. Let's pray. Father, the resurrection is not just an idea that we cart around once a year, but it's it's everything about us. The resurrection is because you have been raised from the dead, our nature has changed. What we once loved, what we once valued, what we once lived for is no longer what we love, value, or live for. We live for you, and we live for you because you have been raised from the dead, and because you have been raised, our nature has changed. Because you have been raised, where we are going is, it has changed. What waits us in the end of time is the historical, res real, resurrected body, and we will be with you. Your resurrection has shown that this is a certain fact, and this is where we're going. A lot of us, Lord, the things of the world is overwhelmingly important because we don't know this hope, eternal hope that we have in you. For a lot of us, many the things of this world matter so much. The things of that are built on sand matter so much. Because for a lot of us, this, is, this world is all we think we have. 
May that not be true. May we know there's a reality beyond this world. That the conditions and what we build for ourselves here, it doesn't matter. It's not where we will be. Where we will be with, is with you. May we not be bad company. May we not be people who make Christianity into anything else but the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. May the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ be the central to everything that we do. Father, there are those of us who are suffering physically. It's true, there are, there are those who are really sick. And it doesn't, and, and, it, and, and, and their suffering is real and horrible. But their spirits can still be comforted in knowing that you are the ultimate healer and one day that you will heal them completely. In this world and in the world to come that you will heal them completely. May their hope be fixated upon you. May those of us who are suffering financially, I know it's hard, it is scary, but let them know, Lord, that you provide things. You have said in, in the Lord's Prayer, do not worry about anything, but pray for all things. May they pray for their, for the, for their finances. May they pray for their finances. May they pray for the things that they worry about. But would you, will you provide for them? But most importantly, give them eternal hope as they know that they will one day be resurrected with you. Father, may we experience more of the dead coming to life in this church. All these things. In Jesus' name we pray.